Thanks for listening to this week's Hope at Crossroads. We are glad you're taking the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can connect with us through our website, hopeatcrossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends and let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And now, here's this week's message. Amen, amen. If you've got your Bible, if you'll open up to the book of John, uh, John chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, while you're turning there, let me say thank you uh, to our worship team, uh, Leonard and our trio, and Jeff and Vicki. And uh, Terry, thank you, thank you, thank you, Matt, for that testimony. Wow, wow. The depth of spiritual wisdom that you share with us this morning. We could, we could have an invitation right now. Uh, but I want to share a few things from John chapter 4. So uh, last week we were at John chapter 2, or John chapter 1. And I hope that you will, in your own personal quiet time, will kind of follow along and read because we're just going to skim the surface and hit the highlights of John's gospel. John chapter 2, you may remember the story where Jesus uh, turned water into wine and uh, a lot there that we could study about. He went into the temple and overturned the money changers' uh, tables. And then John chapter 3, this guy named Nicodemus uh, confronts Jesus at night to find out about him, and they have an a intense conversation, uh, which is recorded in one of the verses that most of us probably know, John three sixteen, where Jesus says to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then we get to John chapter 4, where Jesus runs into a woman Uh, At the well, hence the theme of the well this morning. So let's read it together. John 4, verse 1. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Verse 3 He left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, for sake of time, we're going to stop right there for a minute, and I'm just going to kind of give you some observations that I make from this chapter, and then we'll pick back up with the reading. The first, thing I, first lesson I see from the woman at the well this morning is this. Jesus always has time for you. He always has time for you. If you, if you missed it, it says in verse 4, in some translations, the King James original language says, Jesus actually had to, or he needed to, go through Samaria. He was starting to get popular by this time. He was not ready to confront the religious establishment in Jerusalem. And so he decided, now's not the time to get into this. It's not time for me to be crucified. So I'm going to slip out of Jerusalem, and I'm going to head... Uh, to Galilee, and if you look on a map, and you pull up a map, or you look in the maps in your Bible, those maps are in your Bible for a reason, by the way. I know rarely do we look at the maps, but they are important. And if you look at them, you'll discover that the straightest route for Jesus to go to get to Galilee was to go through Samaria. Jesus had to go there, and we're going to discover in just a minute that he meets a lady there. It's by divine appointment. It's not an interruption. It's by divine appointment. Jesus had time for her because he was 
on purpose. So I just, as you know by now, made some personal notes as I thought about that. Jesus needed to go through Samaria. It wasn't because of uh, travel arrangements or practical reasons. It was because he had a purpose. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life I have things that happen. And sometimes I'm often asking God, Lord, is this a, uh, is this a divine uh, appointment or is this an interruption? And it takes discernment sometimes to figure those out. Sometimes I get it right, sometimes I get it wrong. But Jesus has time for you this morning. You may be here this morning wondering if Jesus has time for you. He does. Jesus loves you. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. He has time for you. He loves you. He wants to speak to you. And if you think about the people that Jesus is going to meet as He goes through Samaria, these are some interesting people. You may know that the Jews and Samaritans did not get along with one another. Matter of fact, they were, they were total opposites. They did not want to be in the same company when the Babylonians conquered the southern kingdom of Judah, they took most of the population captive, but the people that they left behind, they would de- describe as the lowest of the low, the low class, the half-breeds, the people who were there who intermarried, who were the, the bottom of the barrel in the social class. And so the Jews did not want to have anything to do with them. As a matter of fact, most of us maybe know, if you've been brought up in church, if you haven't, I'll tell you, they, when they were traveling... If they were traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee, they would often go the furthest route up against the river and try to stay completely away from Samaria. Because if you went through Samaria, that was like traveling through the garbage dump of society. They did not want to do that. They regarded those people who lived there the lowest of the low. You may have come to church today and feel like God has no time for you. You may think you're the lowest of the low. You may think something that you've done or gone through in your life puts you in a social class that you're at the bottom of the barrel and God has no time for you today. I want to tell you that's a lie from the devil. Jesus has time for you. Every area of your life, whether you think it's important to him or you think it's too trivial for him to be concerned about, he has time for you today. He loves you just like he had time for this lady that we're going to discover he meets So let's pick up the story. He came to a city of Samaria, verse 5, called Sychar, near the parcel ground. Jacob has given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So let's stop again just for a second. It was about the sixth hour. The other thing that I discover about a lesson from this lady today in this story is Jesus is always going to meet you where you are. What is this place, Jacob's well, what is this place, Samaria, uh, or this place of Sychar, as it's called? Some of you may know, if you know your Bible history, this was an interesting place. It's interesting what conversation is going to happen right here with this lady at the well. Because this area is uh, the area where when Abram first arrived into Canaan from Babylonia, this is the, this is the area where he arrived. This is where God first appeared to uh, Abram and renewed the promise of giving him the land to he and his descendants. It's the plot of ground we just read where uh, Jacob gives his son Joseph. It's actually the, the place where the bones of Joseph would eventually be buried as they were carried up from Egypt. This is the place where Joshua made a covenant with Israel. It's an important place in Bible history, and yet the, this time where he meets someone there, it's someone that he meets is the lowest of the low, the lowest in the social 
class. Who was this woman? This woman who was here meeting at the heat of the day at noontime. Women in that time when they went to the well, they would normally travel just like they do now when they go to the... I see some of you smiling, going to the restroom or going to get water things. They travel in groups. Ladies, I know, you do, you travel in groups. I've never been in a restaurant and looked at a male friend and said, would you like to go to the restroom? That does not, does not happen. You would get some interesting looks. I know. I don't know why that's okay for ladies and not for guys. I don't know. That's another, another message for another time. But women traveled in groups, and so they would normally go to the well together to get water, and they would normally go in the cool of the day. But here it is in the heat of the sun. The noonday, and this lady shows up alone. Maybe she's outcast. And Jesus begins this conversation. This lady comes up in verse 7, is from Samaria to draw water, and Jesus says to her, Give me a drink. It's very interesting that Jesus will meet you where you are. And by the way, I'll also tell you this Jesus is not afraid to speak to you. In this day and age, for Jesus, a rabbi, a Jew, to open his mouth and speak to, if I can say it this way in our modern vernacular, to white trash, to speak to her, was profound. We, we read it like she just engages with him and it's like an everyday conversation. No way. Uh-uh. He would never speak. To her, as a matter of fact, at Jewish the Jewish culture it would be that a man would not even speak to his wife in public, and let, yet Jesus engages with this lady and starts to try to get a, have have a conversation with her. Jesus wants to have a conversation with you. He's not afraid to speak to you. I think one of the enemy's greatest tools, and perhaps this is one of the tools he was using even with this lady, is to get us sometimes to think we're too bad, we're too lowly, we're too insignificant, God doesn't have time for you, he doesn't have anything to say to you, and so we just kind of fade into the background thinking that God is not making time for us or that he won't speak to us. God will speak to you. Matter of fact, God wants to speak to you. God wants to have a relationship with you, and God wanted to speak through Jesus to this lady. It's interesting that if you go back and you look in John chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he tells Nicodemus, in a sense, he kind of foreshadows the fact that, hey, Nicodemus, I have something to say to you. I have something to say to the religious establishment. But then we get into chapter 4, and he speaks to this outcast. And maybe Jesus is saying, not only do I want to speak to the religious establishment, but I also want to speak to those that the religious establishment despises. Can I just say something to you this morning, church? There's a group of people that will never come in this room. They're never going to come in here. Ever. And the reason that the way that we live, that we talked about last week in our testimony, is so important And the testimony of people like Matt Corby is so important is because there's people out there that you interact with that the only way they'll ever come to know and even investigate Jesus is by you. And the reason they'll never come into a place like this is because historically the religious establishment has so pushed them away and despised them and told them they're outcasts that they don't feel like the God of the universe will give them a seat at the table. I'm not saying we don't shine a spotlight on sin, but the old little saying that we've used, especially in Baptist culture, is hate the sin, love the sinner. We haven't done too well at loving the sinner. 
We've put a spotlight on the sin, but we have failed to put love on the sinner. And here Jesus is demonstrating to us in reality how that's about to happen, contrary to how most people, even in his culture, in the religious establishment, would have treated this lady. Because they never would have had a conversation with her. Because Jews and Samaritans don't interact, and especially Jesus being a rabbi, whoa, what are you doing? You're talking to this filth? What are you doing? So maybe part of the revelation of this story to us in 2022 is to open my eyes perhaps to realize that Jesus has something to say even to people outside these walls who feel like those of us inside these walls generally speaking have despised them and written them off and you and I can list those classes and those cultures and those groups of people I don't have to go through the list you know them so how do we love those people It's interesting that Jesus actually interacts with her and starts this conversation with her. I wrote down this little note. Jesus gets glory perhaps most often when he includes people. He could have gotten his own water. Hello? Just a couple of chapters before, he turned all this water into wine. He doesn't have a problem with water. So the fact that he actually looks at this lady who's at the well and says, Hey, can you give me something to drink? He opens the door to include her and to pull her in to be a part of the conversation and a part of what's getting ready to happen. He includes her in the story. That's just how Jesus is. Jesus includes people. And what does he share with her? He shares with her something very interesting. He said, give me a drink. The disciples had gone away apparently into the city to buy some food. Verse 9, the Samaritan says to him, how is it that you, being a Jew... Are asking me for a drink when I'm a Samaritan woman, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. It's kind of a play on words, if you know what's happening here. Living water, they called wells back in those times, those wells that sprung up with water. They called those living water. And so Jesus is saying, you're going right here to this well for living water. There's somewhere else where you can get some living water. And she says to him, verse 11, Sir, you you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? You're not greater than my father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well? He drank of it himself. His children, his family, his cattle. And Jesus answered and said, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give to him will never thirst. The water I give shall become in him a well of water springing up into eternal life. And the woman says, Sir, give me this water so I won't be thirsty. I don't want to have to come to the well all the time in the heat of the day to draw. Give me some of this living water. And Jesus changes the subject just a little bit. He says to her, go call your husband. Now, I've read this passage of scripture many, many times. And just this week, just goes to show you're never too old to learn something new. Just this week, did I discover perhaps one of the reasons why Jesus would all of a sudden 
ask her about her husband because here she is talking about water. He talks about living water. She is interacting. It's a conversation now. She says, hey, I want some of that water that you're talking about. She's thinking, so I don't have to come to the well all the time in the heat of the sun. And then Jesus says to her, go call your husband. Why would he say that? As I've studied it, I've come to this conclusion. You study yourself and see what conclusion you come up with. Jesus is getting ready to put the spotlight on all the places in her life where she has been digging, if I can say it this way, spiritual wells to fill her soul. Oh, you want the living water. Let me just for a second put a spotlight on all the places where you've been looking for water. Spiritual water. So that you can realize why where you've been looking is not providing you what you're looking for. I wrote this down in my notes. Before we can receive the living water, we have to be confronted with our sin. No doubt, you're like me, because I'm human and you are too. Maybe even this week, maybe even this month, maybe even this year. You and I go through life, through our day, even as a believer sometimes, and we're digging spiritual wells, looking for living water that only Jesus can satisfy. One of the great things about worship, one of the great things about coming together on a Sunday like this is to be reminded there is only one place, only one source where we can find living water that will forever fuel us and fill us, as we heard about just a second ago in song. There's only one place we can find that. It's in Jesus Christ. So he's asked her, go get your husband. And what does she say to him? She says, sir, I have no husband. Verse 17. Jesus said to her, you're right. You have no husband. You've had five husbands. The one you have right now is not your husband. This you have said truly. She says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Now I've heard a lot of preachers preach on this passage. We, we don't know how Jesus articulated how he delivered what he just said to her. There could be a lot of speculation. As many people in this room, there could be that many interpretations of how he might have said it to her. I've heard preachers and pastors read the scripture like this. When she says, I have no husband. I've heard people say that he responded this way. You're right. You're not with your husband. You've had five husbands. And the one you're sleeping with right now is not your husband. Personally, I don't think that's the way Jesus responded. Say, Pastor Jack, how do you know that? I know that because if I go back and I look at John chapter 3, we all know very well John 3.16. There's a verse that comes after John 3.16. It's called John 3.17. That's kind of the way it breaks out, right? It says, for God, Jesus is saying this to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not come into the world, hallelujah, to condemn the world. But he came into the world that the world might be saved through him. 
Paul says it this way in the book of Romans. I think it's chapter 8. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're here this morning, dear friend, hear me. And you are feeling condemnation like you're getting beat up, beat up, beat up. I want to give you a 100% money back guarantee based on God's word. That is not the Holy Spirit. That is not Jesus. That is not God. He does not condemn you. I know who it is. It's Satan. Now the Holy Spirit convicts you. If you feel conviction in your heart that's saying what you're doing is wrong, that well that you're going to trying to find living water, that you're trying to fill this void in your life, if you're feeling something knocking on your heart saying that's not the answer, that's the Holy Spirit. You say, Pastor Jack, how do you determine condemnation and conviction? In my life, here's the way I've recognized it. Condemnation every time, 100% of the time, when I feel condemnation, it will push me away from God. It'll push me away. It'll say, you're not worthy. God doesn't love you. His grace is not enough. Your sin's too great. That's condemnation. But when I experience conviction, it's like, oh my gosh, the God of the universe loves me. His grace on the cross, His blood on the cross, that's why I want to kneel in front of Him and worship Him. That's conviction. So I don't think this woman felt condemnation. The conversation changes. They talk about her husband. And then she says, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Maybe she does have to change the subject. I don't know, but it reminds me that the next lesson we're getting ready to learn, the third thing is we can only worship what we know because she starts to talk about worship. And she says, Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, verse 20. You people say Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus says, Okay, if you're going to go there, if you're going to go about worship, I'll play along. I'll go there. Let's talk about that for a minute. So he says in verse 21, Woman, Believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. What is Jesus saying? The Samaritans believed that Moses had commissioned this altar on Mount Gerizim. It was the mountain of blessing. And the Samaritans believed that that is where Moses... Uh, had, had commissioned this altar. It was their justification of the system of worship that they were practicing, which reminds us that any time the truth of God is not there, all kinds of different elements of religion and tradition conspire and come together, and that's kind of what these people were practicing. They were worshiping what they did not know. And it's emphatic if you go back and you look in the original language. Jesus is saying emphatically, you are worshiping this way. We are worshiping the one true God. We are worshiping what we know. Salvation is from the Jews. A few questions really quick I wrote in my notes. I can only worship what I know. Am I struggling to worship? Am I thirsty for worship? See, dear friends, one of the reasons this is so important, our corporate worship experience is so important, and one of the reasons a lot of people are missing it because they don't think this is important. There's a, it's important for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons this is important, when we come together and we worship, we're honoring what God says in His Word. God is Spirit, He says in verse 24, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. God Almighty, number four on your list, God is seeking Worshippers. 
That blows my mind. The creator of the universe who holds everything that's happening right now in the universe in the palm of his hand, he sustains it all. Every breath that every one of us just took comes from God. The the God who is sustaining all that, who really is in need of nothing, is actually seeking out something. And he's seeking out people who will worship him in spirit and truth. To worship in spirit means we're, we're... we're concerned and focused on connecting our spirit to his spirit. As I prayed earlier, I'm not the audience. The praise team is not the audience. You're not the audience. The audience is Jesus. When you leave today, and I know we do it culturally, and I know we do it even in our church. Oh, the music was good. Praise God, it was good. Solo was great. Praise God, it was great. That's great. All that's okay. But here's a question we should ask when we leave church. Did God enjoy it or not? Because he is the audience. He is seeking us to encounter him in worship and in spirit and in truth. To connect our spirits with his spirits. Because we share the spirit of the Holy Spirit inside of us because of him. To worship him in truth means we worship according to the whole counsel of God. We worship in truth because he is the truth. As we discovered last week in John chapter 1. Second Chronicles says it this way in chapter 16. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro. Throughout the whole earth. To show himself strong to those whose heart is perfect toward him. So I I just wrote down a couple questions for me today. Am, Am I really worshiping? See, there's a difference between coming and singing songs and reading scripture and listening and actually worshiping. And I've said this before, and I know many of you understand this. I have to prepare, not just because I'm the pastor, the preacher a lot of times on Sunday, but I have to prepare on Saturday night, whether I was preaching or not, I have to prepare on Saturday night my heart for worship on Sunday. Why? Because I want my heart connected to your heart to connect to his heart to say, Jesus, you are worthy, we love you, I stand amazed in your presence. Because he's seeking worshipers. And so Jesus has this conversation with this woman. And this woman, after he gives this whole explanation about worship, she's, I don't know, she's like, boom, mind blown. I was trying to get you off the subject of my husbands that I've had. And now you're talking about worship and now you're blowing my mind again. And so she tracks with him and she says in verse 25, I hear you saying all this. I know that the Messiah is coming. And he who is called the Christ, when he comes, he will declare all things to us. And then get ready. Jesus is getting ready to, if I can say, drop the mic in front of her. And he looks at her and he says, I'm him. The one that's speaking to you, I'm, I'm, that Messiah you're looking for, that's me. I'm here. Which is encouraging to me. Because it's another reminder that Jesus reveals himself to sinners. Of which I am the chief one, as Paul would say. So what happens? At this point, the disciples come up on the scene. <laughs> I, read, I read that one statement, and the disciples come. At this point, the disciples come. And uh, forgive me, I have ADD. I'm, I'm just kind of thinking, are you guys not all there? You're with Creator God. God in a bod. Jesus with skin on he just worked this miracle, turning water into wine. He's out baptizing people. I mean, this, all these miracles happen. 
where did you guys go? Now, I know that Jesus sent them off to go get food, but I would be, I think, probably not if I'm really honest, but I would like to think I'd be glued to his side so I didn't miss anything. So I come back on the scene. I'm interrupting this conversation with this woman. And I see my rabbi having a conversation with this lady. But none of them say anything. They don't say, verse 27, what do you seek? Why are you speaking to her? They don't say a word. But what happens? Well, we discover the fifth lesson that this lady can teach us. The woman left her water pot and went into the city. She left her water pot and went into the city. Here's the fifth thing that I learned, and I've only got one more after this. When you encounter Jesus, you realize he's all you need. This lady came to the well to get water. Don't miss it. She encounters Jesus. She leaves the well without her water pot. She doesn't need that water pot anymore because she's encountered Jesus. Here's the, uh, uh, the other reason that we come to worship. Can I be honest? I am. I know. I know. I always am. How many times do we come to worship? I, I looked for one this morning. I couldn't find it. I was looking for a suitcase. And we come to worship and we have our suitcase of burdens and worries and concerns. And we come and we meet with Jesus at the well, so to speak. And we sing and we worship and we praise God. And the service is over and we grab our suitcase and we roll it back to the car. Come on. Come on. Why do we do that? Because that's what we do in the Bible Belt in the South. That's not what we're supposed to do. This lady went to the well. She encountered Jesus. The very thing that she came there looking for, she thought physical water in her water pot. After she encounters Jesus, she leaves the water pot and she leaves it behind. Why? Because she encountered Jesus and realized he's all that she needed. It's interesting, by the way, if you look at the other gospel accounts of this story, you'll find out that this little uh, mention of the water pot being left behind is a very small point that would be remembered by the eyewitness, John, the writer of the gospel. Very small detail, but it was important to him to say, wait a minute, as he's writing this down, or recording this for us, that lady who came to the well that day, she left her, she, she left her water pot by. Amazing. When you leave today, church, leave your water pot behind. Leave your sins, your burdens, your worries, concerns. Just, I wish we had a bunch of water pots because that could be our invitation. You just bring your water pot up to the front. But here's what's interesting about this lady. We don't know her name. That's one of my 10,463 questions I'm going to ask the Lord when I get to heaven. Where is she and what's her name? Because we don't know her name. But we do know the result of what happened to her because... The writer tells us, John tells us, here's what happened. She left her water pot. She ran into the city. She said to the men, very interesting, she said to the men, because she's not supposed to be talking to men, she doesn't care about the rules because she's met Jesus. So she runs into the city and she starts shouting, come, see a man who told me all the things I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? Last thing about when you... Encounter Jesus, the lesson from this lady. When you encounter Jesus, you want to tell somebody about it. That's the result. 
How can we sit quietly if we really encounter Jesus? I can't. I used to could, but I can't anymore. She went back and she told the men about Jesus. Yay, Pastor Jack, that's great. But did anything really happen after she told those men? I'm so glad you asked that question. Because if you skip down after Jesus gives a little, uh, little encouragement, some uh, little challenge to his disciples, it gets down to verse 39 and John tells us this. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I've done. why your testimony is so important I don't know how it happened but the best presentation I've seen that kind of connects with me mentally of how this story might have happened and I don't know if, again how it happened this is a person's interpretation is on video I want you to watch and as you think about the story who are you in this story watch this this morning God is spirit And the time is coming and is now here that it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. believe what I'm telling you until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out including me I don't trust in anyone you're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God this Messiah you speak of I am he the first one was named Ramin You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him. Because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. (laughs) Do you think it's an accident that I'm I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. (sighs) And you know these things... Because you are the Christ.
I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. <laughs> you promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ. <laughs> Hey, wait! Your water! You forgot your um. Papi, your man, you told me everything I ever did! Would you pray with me? I don't know where you find yourself this morning. Maybe you need to come to the well of living water where you'll never thirst again. Maybe you're here today and you, you uh, have religion or you have church membership, but you don't know the one that can give you living water. In just a minute, we're going to stand and have a song of invitation. But just before that, I just want to invite you right there in your seat today. Maybe you've got burdens that you need to, you've carried in here in your figurative, in your, in your water pot. You need to leave those at the feet of Jesus. That's you, I just want you to spend a few seconds just confessing that to the Lord. And say, Lord, you are the source of living water and the source of what I need. Father, I don't know what you want to do today in the service during this invitation, but I pray that we would be obedient as your children. Thank you. There's therefore no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. Conviction, yes, but condemnation, no. And Lord, I pray that if the enemy is trying to tell anyone in here that they're unloved or unlovable, or where they come from, or what they've done has put them at the bottom of the barrel of the social class, that you could never accept them or love them. I pray right now, God, that you would quieten the voice of the enemy and they would only hear truth from you. Because you so love the world. You gave your one and only Son. And whosoever believes in you would not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, I pray today if there's anyone in here who would say, I need that living water, that you would help them respond either there in their seat or to come down the front and grab my hand or the hand of my friend Heath and just say, I need the living water today. Would you help us to be obedient during this invitation? For many of us in this room, maybe most of us, we know the living water is Jesus. Maybe you're challenging us today like that woman at the well to run out into the city and say, come, see a man who knows all about me and still loves me. Pray you'd have your way during this invitation today. Church family, I'm just going to ask you quietly and reverently if you would just stand to your feet. Joey's going to lead us in a song of invitation. In just a minute, when the music starts, the first note of the, of the first song, I pray if you just need to respond, you just slip out of that seat and come grab 
uh, Heath's hand or my hand, we'd love to pray with you this morning. Let's, uh, let's sing together. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. In addition, we want to invite you to check out some of the great items at our website that will help you, or you can give as a gift to a friend. Devotionals and other resources are all available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you will tune in again next week.